0: Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Hey, welcome to the Pittsburgh Oratory and to the of Christi. For all those who are members of the Secular Oratory, and my name is Father David Abernethy, and this evening we're going to be discussing uh, a part of the patrimony of the church that perhaps isn't well known by many uh, Roman Catholics. It's a, a form of prayer that is very ancient, and also is very fruitful that comes to us from uh, the East and uh, started at a very early time, we would say even from the scriptures themselves, as we'll see in our text tonight. It's called the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And if I were to preface this with anything, I would say that the, the prayer is not a mantra, simply to ease us into a kind of peaceful state. It's seen within the context of our relationship with God, but also the conversion of heart that we are called to undergo. So it's part of an ascetical tradition, a part of the exercise of our faith and our desire for conversion, repentance, holiness of life. And so this prayer is meant to help foster within us a kind of watchfulness of heart, inner stillness, also to help us to do spiritual battle against the, the demons that would afflict us, the sinful thoughts that would come to mind. becomes a means through which we would gently set these thoughts aside and redirect the mind and the heart to God. Um, I, in my preparation for the group, uh, I looked at a lot of different uh, texts that we could use to consider, and I, I ch- settled on one this evening by an author, an Eastern author, named Anthony Conieris. And, uh, it's right to the point I felt, not over the, overly theological, but takes us right into the history and the practice uh, of saying the Jesus Prayer. Uh, he's written some wonderful books on the, beginning to read the Philokalia, sort of filling us in on the, the language and the spirituality of the East. And so I chose that for us here tonight. Uh, to lead us into an understanding of the Jesus Prayer. And then Ren is going to lead the second part of the group, which will be on the history of what is called the prayer rope, or often goes by the word chotky. Uh It's a series of knots through, uh, which, with which one would use to say the Jesus Prayer. And sort of unlike uh, our rosary, uh, which is used to keep track of the number of prayers that we're saying each of the decades of the mystery uh, of the, uh, the particular mystery of the rosary that we're saying. The chalky is really used uh, to add a bodily element to the prayer to help us focus on the prayer itself. So it's not the number of prayers that we're saying but uh, just it's used as a means to keep us focused on the prayer itself to help us maintain our attention uh, as we're engaged in it. So the full self in some way can be involved in the prayer, that it's not just being said in the mind, but also with the lips and then also with the use of the prayer rope itself. But she'll be taking us through the the history of the development of the prayer rope and the meaning of that uh, with a little bit of a slideshow showing you actually how to make the knots, which should be very interesting. And uh, we often begin this group with a hymn, and that's what we're going to do tonight. I think we always sing better when we're standing up, so if you don't mind standing. And the opening hymn is at the name of Jesus. I would be remiss if I did not mention something that I've mentioned in so many groups here at the oratory, that the first person to expose me to the Jesus prayer and to the... Eastern tradition is my cousin Leo Weiker, who happens to be with us here this evening. Leo over here in the blue sh- shirt. Uh, Leo's uh, Russian Orthodox, but uh, sent me once out of the blue the uh, writings of St. John Climacus, the, uh, the Ladder of Divine Ascent, who speaks very directly about the value of the Jesus Prayer, as well as sending me my first talk key. So I'm eternally grateful uh, to Leo. Uh, tonight, uh, it's great to be able to offer to, or to be able to speak about something that has said, had such an enormous impact upon my spiritual life. Uh, as I said, it wasn't something that I heard about until 30 years ago and uh, beginning to read the Eastern Fathers and this particular kind of form, uh, which we might know as arrow prayers or short prayers, uh, often they are used uh, simply to pierce the heavens in a few moments time. So John Cassian's version of this, or what he would bring back to the West after visiting the uh, desert monks in the East was, oh God, come to my assistance. O oh Lord, make haste to help me. Or uh, simply the name of Jesus would often be used as a, as a short prayer uh, to quickly turn the mind and the heart to God, especially in those times of temptation where thoughts might be besieging us. Uh, But tonight, we're going to be talking about the Jesus Prayer itself, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what I want to do tonight is just to give you, uh, through Connie writing, a sense of its beginning and its meaning and why it's considered to be so powerful. Why would this prayer, among all the prayers that we have as Christian men and women, be held up in such high esteem? What is so important and so valuable? about it and why would we want to introduce something that is so prevalent in the east and into the west. And part of the reason for that is that it's part of our patrimony, that this is part of our heritage as Christians and a very early part of that tradition as well, we find it again and again in the writings of the Desert Fathers and even St. Philip himself who was well versed in Cassian and in Climacus, Uh, would pray the Jesus prayer or something similar to it. He would uh, often even bring the the Virgin Mary into the prayer itself. Virgin and mother, mother of God, pray to Jesus for me, a sinner. And uh, so it's it's found in our tradition, but so rarely talked about, uh, I think, uh, here in the West. And so uh, what I want to do tonight is just to give a little introduction to that. I'm going to read through this a little more quickly, partly because uh, he's uh, a very good reader, easy to listen to, and uh, and so straightforward and accessible, and I'm going to take a couple paragraphs at a time, which is different from what we normally do, one paragraph at a time, uh, in the hopes of getting through my portion in a reasonable amount of time so that Ren can get up here and give her presentation as well. We're going to take the first three paragraphs first, where Connie Harris takes us back to Uh, The beginnings of what he says is the prayer within the scriptures itself, an event that everybody here is very uh, familiar with. He writes, As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. To catch the true meaning of these words, one must remember that the roadside by which the blind man was sitting was the gutter of some street in Jericho. He was blind and he was a beggar sitting in the gutter. To the people of Jericho, He was the lowest of the low. And hearing a multitude going by, He inquired what this meant. They told Him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And He cried, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked Him, telling Him to be silent. He knew of Jesus, He believed in Him, and cried out to Him with faith. But those around Him rebuked Him, quiet, The master is busy. He's teaching a crowd of people. Do you think he would pay attention to you, a dirty blind beggar wallowing in the gutter?" So if you remember at that time, there was often a discussion of of whether or not a person's malady Uh, whether it was some sort of physical sickness or something like blindness was rooted in their sin or the sin Mm -hmm. of their parents. And so sometimes uh, someone suffering from leprosy or blindness would be, be considered a sinner, a lawbreaker, that they had brought this affliction upon themselves for some reason. So when the crowd is walking by, which would have been a normal thing in Jesus' day, it was a common thing for a rabbi to walk along the road with his disciples and be giving some teaching while he would be doing so. Typically a question of some interest would be put to the rabbi, and he would be engaging the crowd as they traveled. So wanting to hear Jesus, they become annoyed at this beggar who's shouting out louder and louder as they rebuke him to be quiet. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So he had heard the stories, he understood that Jesus had healed many people with afflictions and so he begins to cry out for that same mercy for himself. How dare you trouble the master, you, a nobody, you the lowest of the low, you the scum of the earth. But he cried out cried out all the more son of David have mercy on me he didn't give up no obstacles no discouragement could stop him he had heard what Jesus could do and had done and nothing was going to stop him from making contact with Jesus he cried out even louder than before son of David have mercy on me so in many ways he becomes for us an image like the uh, old woman who approaches the unjust judge repeatedly, pressuring him to give her justice. And uh, so she becomes an image similarly of this persistence and prayer for us. And, uh, and we see the, the power of it. And the next paragraph, Connie Eris tells us, and Jesus stopped, and this is the, the significant thing in his, his eyes, above all the noise of the multitude Jesus heard the lonely prayer of the blind beggar and he stopped. The almighty Lord and master of the universe is stopped by the prayer of a poor, blind, forgotten beggar sitting in the gutter, a nobody. He commands the beggar to be brought to him. Why do you want me? What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well and immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. This is the prayer that stopped Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Certainly if this prayer stopped Jesus then, then it can stop him today. And so if with confidence, this blind beggar could cry out to Jesus and amidst the noise of the world, and of those seeking to quiet him, Jesus could respond to that. He could see and, and feel the, the the need, the confidence, the faith of this beggar. So he will do for us if we call out uh, with the same sense of our need of our poverty and our need for his healing. Uh, it's also reminiscent, I think, of the woman with the flow of blood who, Uh, had been made worse by all the doctors that she went to see who comes up and simply grabs hold of his garment, the hem of his garment, and is healed. That there's a supreme sensitivity that the Lord has to those who have faith in him. Confidence even to do something like the woman of reaching out just to touch the hem of his garment, perhaps I could be healed. And similarly with the blind beggar, if I simply cry out with persistence, he will hear me. And this is enough to draw our Lord's attention to him. And for all of us in our prayer, uh, speak uh, something to our our hearts, that it's out of this poverty that we experience. The the very things in our life that we often find to be the most burdensome, that attracts the gaze of Christ. The things that we would have out of our lives, the things that we would do everything to, to free ourselves from and the things that take us from doctor to doctor and uh, lead us to try one thing after another to bring us peace of mind and heart are to be found in the great physician of souls. They are to be found in Christ. Uh, Again, not something magical, but rooted in faith and faith in who who Christ is uh, as the Son of God. And this is where Connie Harris brings us to the blind man's prayer today, what this could mean for us. The blind man's prayer, altered but slightly, is known today as the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, the sinner. It is one of the most commonly used prayers in the Orthodox Church. The Jesus prayer holds in itself the whole gospel truth. It is a summary of the gospels. We read about it in classic of orthodoxy, The Way of the Pilgrim. Uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the work written in the 19th century of a pilgrim who travels throughout uh, Russia looking for someone, an elder to teach him to follow, uh, how to follow Paul's command and exhortation to pray without ceasing. And so he travels for a long time with just a knapsack, looking for someone to teach him until he comes upon a star. It's an elder who finally teaches him about the the Jesus prayer. And he gets to the point that he actually prays it 12,000 times a day without effort. It becomes so much a part of his identity and part of his very being. It becomes like his breathing for him on a spiritual level. This book is the story of an unnamed, sorry, I should have just read ahead. (laughs) Uh, This book is the story of an unnamed peasant who seeks out someone who will teach him how to fulfill the biblical command to pray without ceasing. I'll skip the next couple lines here. He is about to come away from his journey empty hearted when at last he meets the holy man who teaches him the Jesus prayer. He learns to repeat it as many as 12,000 times a day without effort, The Jesus, prayer becomes a constant warming presence within him and brings him great joy. Saint Theophan the recluse writes, at first this saving prayer is usually a matter of strenuous effort and hard work. But if one concentrates on it with zeal, it will begin to flow of its own accord, like a brook that murmurs in the heart. This is a great blessing and it is worth working hard to obtain. So there's a couple of interesting things in this paragraph. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cornelius tells us that it holds in itself the whole gospel truth. Lord Jesus Christ uh, contains uh, within it, most importantly, the name of our Lord, but it becomes an expression of the creed for us. We're acknowledging Jesus as our Lord and Savior The name Jesus means God saves. And so we are not not only acknowledging him as, as our savior, but as our Lord. And so it becomes an expression of our commitment to him. To say this prayer and to say it truly from our hearts with faith is in a sense to die to self. It is to acknowledge that Christ is the Lord of our life. So every time that it's repeated from the heart, it becomes an expression of our belief in the Lord, but also an expression of our desire to die to self and sin and live for the Lord alone. And so we get back to the point that this is not just a mantra. It's just not a means of clearing our minds from from thoughts. There's always this personal and radical personal element to the Jesus prayer. It's directed towards Christ. The idea might be similar to a mantra, we're moving from a multiplicity of thoughts to simplicity, but it's not to create a kind of mindlessness or thoughtlessness within us, but direct us in the most powerful way to Christ and to set aside anything else that might distract us from him. And in some of our groups, we talked about how difficult this can be, the workings of the human mind in and of themselves are a powerful distraction for us, imagination and its development into fantasy, or simply benign thoughts that come to us and distract us throughout the course of the day—that we often give no thought to, but nonetheless pull us away from God—it's been estimated that there's a, we have anywhere between 4,000 and 50,000 thoughts a day. And so, if we give ourselves over, as our culture often teaches us, due to every distraction that comes upon us. Uh, whether it be music in the car, or uh, getting on social media constantly, our, our uh, email uh, messages. You know, all of these things are things that begin to fill the mind, the imagination, with thoughts and images. And in the East, what we find stressed more often than uh, the use of discursive reason and, and imagination that we will so often use in the West. Uh, Say, for example, that we will meditate upon some image of the gospel, some story, uh, what's going on in the uh, passage, and almost place ourselves in the passage itself so that we might imagine ourselves having this direct encounter with Christ. Within the East, we find uh, stress on what was called apophatic prayer, which was not the use of discursive meditation. but rather of clearing the mind and the heart in order that one might listen on the deepest levels. That our intellect, our imagination, no matter how powerful an image, an idea that it might conjure up for us of who Christ is or the meaning of the gospel, cannot compare to what God can directly reveal to the heart through faith. That in the silence of the prayer, that the the Jesus prayer helps to foster the stillness within, we allow God to speak a word that is equal to himself. We allow ourselves simply to walk in the darkness of faith. So to pray the Jesus prayer and to allow it to affect its work in ourselves can be a difficult thing because we are so often used to the other kind of meditation to set aside Things that perhaps have even served us well in the faith life, that have helped us meditate upon the the mysteries of the faith and the mysteries of Christ's life, to set those things aside and allow ourselves simply to walk in the darkness of faith and to listen to, to God at the depths of our being can be a very challenging thing. We like boundaries. We like to hold on to things that are familiar to us that we can understand and to let go of those things in uh, a very conscious way like this. And to simply allow that prayer to draw us into a deep stillness, wherein we can listen to God, can be something that we even resist doing. Uh, we've often talked about how John of the Cross speaks of this in the West. He, he speaks of our letting go of these previous forms of prayer as a kind of ligature a kind of break that is often very difficult for us to let go of various forms of prayer that perhaps have served us well early on in the spiritual life to walk rather in this darkness of faith. And so often we will want to return to what is familiar when God is perhaps calling us into a greater and deeper intimacy with him, to encounter him, to see him again as he is in himself. And uh, And so often, I think there can be, even when we want to take up this uh, practice of prayer, a kind of resistance to it. Oh, it seems mechanical to me. Or I'm not gaining very much in the way of consolation from it. It can be a thought that we we have. Or or we'll simply uh, revert back to sort of the agitated state that we often have of our own thoughts. Again, we can become so accustomed to that, that silence can be, be an uncomfortable state for most of us. That to enter into it so deeply as, say, the, the Desert Fathers did and not seek to distract ourselves, even with good things, uh, can be a, a great challenge to us emotionally and intellectually. Uh, any thoughts, though, about these uh, first three paragraphs and where Connie roots the beginning of the Jesus Prayer? This wasn't something new within the Christian tradition. the The name of God uh, was always revered and revered among the Jews. So much so that uh, there was an avoidance of indiscriminately saying the name of God. That it would have, seen, have been seen as a supreme act of, of irreverence of doing so, and even writing it. You know, letters would be left out so as not to to say or to speak or even to write the name of God in vain. And here in the fullness of the revelation of Christ, we are given a name. The, as God is made fully manifest to us in Christ, He, through Joseph tells him he is to be named Jesus for he will save his people from, from their sins. And we're told by Paul that it's through this name that every knee will bow. And it's through belief in this name that all will come to salvation. So we are given, in a very specific and direct way, the name of God as a means of drawing us into uh, a deeper intimacy with him. Think, for example, of our own name as human beings. Uh, David, Wren, Emily, Jim, they all carry uh, with them a certain part of our identity that you conjure up in your mind a certain image of, when you hear the name David, of some hairy guy dressed in a black cassock. Uh, But our names certainly don't capture the fullness of who we are and our identity. But with the name of God, there's a kind of sacramental nature to the name of our Lord. That there's a power in the name of Jesus itself. And this is why it becomes so revered and so used within the spiritual tradition, especially in the struggle with demons and the struggle with temptations, to simply call upon the name of Jesus is to put them to to flight. And why in our tradition also, we would not want to take the name of God in vain, or the name of our Lord in vain, although it's become more and more common in our day. We've lost sight. Even in the West, we had what was called Holy Name Societies precisely to promote veneration of the name of our Lord. And you rarely hear about these things existing or, or having existed anymore uh, within the Catholic Church. And so I think returning to the sources of our spiritual tradition, and especially returning to the practice of the Jesus Prayer, Uh, again illumines us uh, to the uh, importance of the name that has been revealed to us. Uh, And what this reveals to us about the, the very nature of God, how it draws us into that intimacy with God, but also helps us to live out our Christian life more fully. It helps us to engage in the battle directly. It becomes, in a sense, our greatest weapon in the spiritual battle. It helps us to fight the good fight of faith. Okay, yes.
1: So this might sound a little picky, but it's something that really jams me up. So I'm reading the Way of the Pilgrim again. Mm -hmm. If I read it for the first time eight years ago, and... In the fir- in the way of the pilgrim, the first book, the Jesus prayer is Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? And then in the pilgrim continues his way, it adapts to the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So for like five years till I met you, I was saying Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, which to me just flows better. But understanding, you know, and it sounds picky, but it is important because you know the whole when you add the Son of God, it it I can understand how. Saying that portion identifies Jesus as the Son of God, which is something very particular that we believe in, you know, it kind of brings out that fullness that you're talking about. But, you know, is there a right or wrong? I guess it's not like it's sinful to say, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm worthy of the sinner, but, you know, is one more, I don't know, right than the other? Or or why did it alter? I think. When we look at the tradition.
0: Int- I'm sorry to interrupt. Sorry, there, or why did,
1: or historically why?
0: Yeah, did it I think there's been great flexibility. You know, we see it in the, the writings, even though there's a consistency there in the practice of the Jesus Prayer from very early on, that there was flexibility in the exact phrasing of it Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, the sinner, yeah. sort of acknowledging that we're looking at ourselves and acknowledging, you know, we aren't looking at anyone else. But only acknowledging our own deep poverty, and when we see our sins with all clarity, what we can only say uh, is true: is you know, have mercy on me, the sinner. We see ourselves as the greatest of sinner. You know, our tendency is to direct our attention out towards others, but often that prayer would be shortened to Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Or uh, sometimes even when the the prayer uh, when the Uh, heart is stilled, the prayer would be shortened even more or even to the name of Jesus himself. That I wouldn't say there's a right or wrong way of saying it. Uh, I would say that the the fullness of what we see develop in the tradition, in their meditation and in praying of it, is that the, the fuller prayer captures again and encapsulates the fullness of the gospel and of our faith, it becomes sort of creedal for us when we say the, the full thing. And the adding of the sinner certainly uh, becomes an important element of it as well because it's an acknowledging the, the nature of our relationship with the Lord and our dependence upon him and his grace and his mercy. That we're calling out specifically for the, the mercy and compassion that we, we, we desire from him. And we're acknowledging the truth of our own poverty. And so there is some value that even though the cadence of it, as you said, might not feel uh, as uh, free as saying the other form, that I think there is a value in saying the, the fuller, the fuller prayer. And they did find ways of doing that. That they would, some of them would say it with their own breath, with the, the flow of their own breathing, so that they would allow the phrase to follow the inhale and the Exhale, exhale Lord Jesus Christ. Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner." Or they would simply tarry or long or, or linger long with each word of the prayer. Uh, so it's not even to focus so much on the manner in which they're re- reciting it, but on the meaning of the words so that they would slow down uh, the practice or the, the saying of it to, to meditate precisely upon the specific words and their meaning. And sometimes, when I've even read that, when a person is afflicted, when temptations are coming on, again, you know, on them like an army, that they would speed up the prayer at that point, precisely because they're being afflicted by so many different thoughts, that the, the struggle to move the mind and the heart to God would necessitate increasing how rapidly they would say the prayer until things began to slow slow down or still for them but i wouldn't i wouldn't want us to be dogmatic in saying there's only one way of saying this i think there's been a development within the tradition and we find in various writers you know greater flexibility i think it's actually in Climacus that we find the the most developed form of that lord jesus christ son of god have mercy on me a sinner that this would be the first work that we find it directly re- referred to and s- so spelled out as to why it's so significant in that form. I do like
1: that you said the sinner, as I've been thinking the version of a sinner, because it is way more humbling to say the sinner. That's right. As if you are. I think why? it is,
0: and you know, I think that's why seeing it within the context of a fuller spiritual tradition and ascetical life is so important that they, the Eastern writers saw us as having various faculties of the soul. And one of the faculties was called the incensive faculty. And it is this faculty that allows us to recognize sin, but to move very quickly to strike it out of our life and return our, our thoughts back to God. But in the word, you, you can hear it. We become We develop a hatred for sin. We become incensed the power of that faculty leads us to act in a very direct and definitive way. But if we direct it towards our neighbor and begin to examine them, then we begin to look for every chink within the armor and we direct that very powerful aspect of our you know, uh, self-reflection towards another. And, and in this way, we act, we act not in accord with the will of Christ, but rather in accord with the will of of the demon that we begin to judge our neighbor. And so saying the sinner helps helps us to avoid that. Any other comments or questions before we move on? Fairly clear so far? Okay. So what's so different about this prayer? Prayer to the average person is asking God for something So we often are raised in in the sense that we are asking, we are making a petition to God for a particular virtue or for, for something in particular in our lives that we need. The Jesus prayer is not this. It is an attempt to change the one who prays. And again, this brings us back again to the ascetical tradition. We're not simply trying to change the state of our mind in saying this prayer. We're seeking to open ourselves and our hearts radically to God and His grace. That it it is, in a sense, an act of repentance. We, a concrete act of repentance. We're turning our ourselves toward God in the recitation of the prayer and seeking his mercy and forgiveness for our sins. So first of all, in the reciting of the prayer, we are seeking conversion of heart to turn our hearts back from God and to turn away from our sin, it changes us. St. John Chrysostom explains how this can happen. I implore you brethren never to break or despise the role of this prayer. A Christian when he eats, drinks, walks, sits, travels, or does any other thing must continually cry, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me. So that the name of our Lord Jesus, descending into the depths of the heart, should subdue the serpent rolling over the inner pastures and bring life and salvation to the soul. He should subdue the serpent rolling over the inner, I'm sorry, he should always live with the name of the Lord Jesus, so that the heart swallows the Lord and the Lord the heart, and the two become one. And again, do not estrange your heart from God, but abide in Him and always guard your heart by remembering our Lord Jesus Christ until the name of the Lord becomes rooted in the heart and it ceases to think anything else. Another father of the church says, continue constantly in the name of the Lord Jesus, that the heart may swallow the Lord, and the Lord the heart, and these two may be one. However, this is not accomplished in a single day, nor in two days, but it requires many years and much time. By constant, almost incessant repetition, we make the reality of mercy, both receiving it from God and passing it on to others, the foundation of our lives." So what we are seeking is to, to bring about a unity with God and the prayer. The image of of the heart swallowing God and God swallowing the heart is sort of an interesting one. We're seeking to bring the mind into the heart. Often we will pray in a very notional way with our thoughts, ideas, whereas the goal within the Eastern tradition is to bring the mind in into the heart, to unite the two in directing the full self, the full person toward God. Uh, they had a word uh, that took me 25 years to even sort of have a clue as to what they were saying. But it was it's called the nous in, in Greek. But it means the eye of the heart or the eye of the soul. That in purifying the self from one's passions, of redirecting all of our desires, our loves toward God, that we come to see God. Blessed are the pure of heart they shall see God. And so in the Eastern tradition, this prayer, as well as the other ascetical practices of fasting, vigils, studying the scriptures, all these things seek to purify the heart in order that we might come to see God in and through the gift of our faith with a greater clarity. And in that vision, come to experience transformation in our life. So it's not simply to be good people. And it's not even to be virtuous people that we are seeking through the praying of this prayer. Certainly, that's part of our Christian life. But the ultimate goal is this purity of heart that brings us to unity with God. Deification is what they were holding out. Theosis, that, they, that through this purity of heart, we are seeking through the gift of faith that we receive from God to encounter him as he is by himself, to be by grace, transformed into God, as it were, to participate in his life in in the richest and the fullest manner possible. And I think there are very few of us as Christians that think on a daily basis of our life as having that as our ultimate goal. We busy ourselves, and we direct all of our energy in the pursuit of so many other goals within this life that usually living out our Christian life and seeking God is put very low on that list and put as an equal thing on that list at best with everything else that we do throughout the day. But within this spiritual tradition, it's telling us, no, we are made for God. And like Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee we're ultimately created to experience this radical intimacy with God that involves our transformation in a radical way to participate in his life. And so long as we see our spiritual life is about simply being good people, or being good to others, avoiding the really big sins in our lives, or climbing up a mountain of virtue, we're still not getting what Christ has revealed to us, that they may be one, even as we are one. You know, we have to think, why is it that we receive the gift of the Holy Eucharist? It's precisely for this reason, that we might become one with the Lord, that it's a consummation of that relationship where the two become one. And we seek through the ascetical life which includes this prayer to prepare ourselves for that greatest act of intimacy in our faith life, where the bridegroom gives himself to the bride, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And to enter into that relationship, we want to have as pure a heart as possible. And so the one who desires this is going to have no qualms about allowing God to lead him or her to engage in this prayer as if it were their breathing. Like the air is to our body, prayer is to the soul. And so we want to to even transform the way that we look at our prayer as something that is episodic, periodic to something that is constant and unceasing. The beautiful thing about this prayer is that it's believed that it so transforms the mind and the heart, the unconscious, that even when our surface level of consciousness is directed towards other things, we all work, we all have our jobs, we all have to talk to people, (laughs) that on a certain level, we direct our attention towards them. But when the mind and the heart has been so formed in faith and through this prayer, that prayer is going on without ceasing. And so, the most beautiful thing to take place, and we'll come across this in the text, is when we fall asleep with that prayer on our lips, and the first thing that comes to our mind when we become conscious in the morning, again, is the Jesus prayer, when the lips, in fact, are moving. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is how much they desired to have their hearts formed and shaped not only by the prayer, but the fullness of the Christian life, in order that they might be completely directed toward God. And, you know, again, I think this is a challenging thing for us where we tend to compartmentalize things on a psychological level, and we do that also with our faith life, that it becomes one aspect of our life or one aspect of who we are as human beings rather than the def- all defining element of who we are, the lens through which we see our entire existence as human beings. And the p- person who sees you know, their life through this lens is going to live their life in a radically different way. Okay. Any other thoughts? We should probably move on in the text if you, you don't mind. <laughs> Where did I leave off? We become prayer, which is what I've been sort of talking about here. As we pray the Jesus prayer again and again, it becomes established in our hearts. In time, the prayer rises to consciousness without effort on our part. In the midst of trouble, temptation, pain, anger, or frustration, this prayer makes us aware of God's presence. As a result, we become prayer. We begin to worship and pray, not in our own words, nor in our own minds, but in the spirit. So we become prayer, we become theology. We do not do prayer, we do not do theology. We, it's in and through this intimacy with God that you know, we are transformed in our, our very being. And so to become prayer uh, that every breath again that we take is to be directed towards God. Everything that we do, everything that we experience, we see now as directing our, uh, us to him. Everything is providential in that sense. So as the author says here, whether it's an affliction, pain, anger, frustration, that all of these things can be used by God to draw us into this greater intimacy with him. And so often when we become sick or frustrated, angry, we turn in on ourselves. And in the process, we turn away from God. And what the spiritual tradition is telling us is that, no, all these things that we experience, if we can simply turn our minds and our hearts to God through them, then they become the vehicle to intimacy with him. We're often so uh, exhausted through trying to manipulate and shape our own existence, our own life, and the realities around us, to the point of even trying to manipulate, shape circumstances and other people, rather than trusting in the grace of God to direct us and to shape that life for us, in some ways that we can't even imagine. It might be through failure. It might be through sickness and through strife if our faith teaches us anything this is how our redemption took place it took place through what the world saw as failure through the cross you know through abandonment by his you know closest friends through the even the experience of abandonment of the father on the cross that through this the greatest of all things was accomplished the power is in the name There is tremendous power in the name of Jesus. St. Paul says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Christ Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. Jesus says in John, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. St. Peter says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. An interesting quote from the Acts of the Apostle, given some recent discussions and confusion lately. You know, uh, I don't know enough of the circumstances uh, as of yet or how. It might be interpreted, but the statement, where, where was that again? It was in uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, where uh, the pope makes reference to God willing all different religions, a diversity of religion. And we have to be very careful in uh, saying things such as this. You know, it might be said in the context of uh, seeking to foster fraternity or a kind of ecumenical spirit. But we don't want to lose sight of what is said to us in the scriptures itself, that salvation comes to us and to all human beings through one one place, through one individual, and that's Christ. And uh, again, there's something about the spiritual tradition and the Jesus Prayer that emphasizes that for us on the deepest level of who we are, that with a radical kind of confidence, we can say to ourselves and to the world, salvation comes to us through Christ. It becomes the very essence of our evangelization. If we don't believe this and have not experienced this within the depth of our hearts, how are we going to proclaim it with confidence to the world in such a way that they would believe it? The power of Jesus' prayer then lies in the name of Jesus alone and can fulfill the whole need of the one who prays when it is prayed with faith and with a life that is lived in obedience to Christ For as our Lord said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So obedience, humility. These are, are the key virtues, the acknowledgement of our own poverty, of our sin, our need for the g- grace of God, obedience, our willingness to hear, to listen, to be docile to what God says to us, that we are responding to his will, that we are not projecting our own will onto the, the realities that we encounter into this life or projecting our own vision of God onto him, but rather embracing what he truly reveals to us. Let me move, jump ahead a little bit here. When Christians pray the Jesus prayer, we are praying repeatedly, repeating continuously, and calling upon the almighty name of the Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ. But when we look at things like yoga and Zen, the person is practicing a kind of prayer, repeats continuously a word that is incomprehensible to him. And as Archimandrite Ephraims states, if one inquires about the meaning of this incomprehensible word, one will discover that it is the name of some idolatrous deity that is some demon. What accord has Christ with Belial, says St. Paul. So I only make reference to this rather than skipping over it in the sense that we often take for granted that there's nothing problematic with the participation in such things or making use of such words, but we have to realize that in, in saying these words that we are opening our minds and our hearts to them in a direct way. That we are not opening our minds and our hearts to the spirit of God that, that groans within, within us prayer and perfects our prayer with, with a prayer that is beyond words, but we may be opening ourselves to something demonic. And so keeping our focus upon the name of Christ becomes essential for us in order to avoid delusion or what they would call pray that to indiscriminately engage in other spiritual practices, to see them as innocent, or in a kind of ambiguous way, tying them to Christianity, as though we share something in common, is a fatally dangerous practice. And unfortunately, I think it's not said often enough in our day, that, the, you know, that we have to avoid things that can lead us into danger. Uh, I'll leave you to read the next section, The Early Martyrs. It's about Ignatius of Antioch uh, repeating the name of Jesus uh, while on his way to martyrdom. That it is the name of Christ that gave him the strength and the courage to do so. Uh, The power to resist evil. Uh, Just wanna draw a little bit of attention to this because it is so important in the practice. The Jesus prayer can give us the power to resist every evil thought and temptation with which Satan attacks us. For example, when Satan knocks on the door of the mind seeking entrance through some evil thought, send Jesus to the door and he will flee. Resist every temptation with the Jesus prayer. As soon as you feel that that the stronghold of your soul is being assaulted by Satan, start praying the Jesus prayer constantly and with faith. Satan will flee. St. John Comicus says, with the name of Jesus, flog the foes, because there is no stronger weapon in heaven or on earth. Now, in our day, uh, there's an enormous affliction that uh, Christians undergo through you know, the, the constant impact of the images, ideas, the thoughts, the constant noise that comes upon us throughout the course of the day. And in some of our groups, we've talked about how the imagination is so deeply formed by these things at a very early age that it is often difficult to rise out of them, that the demons have a firm grip upon the soul, that sins have taken deep root, that uh, about the average age now that, say, a young man is exposed to internet pornography is like 12 years old. And so if you think. if you become addicted to such things at an early age, the formation of the mind and the heart that is taking place there, it becomes very difficult to deal with the assault of the demons, and the thoughts, the images that come to mind that have become rooted in in the imagination and the memory. And the power of this prayer, along with the rest of the ascetical life, is that it can bring healing on the deepest levels of the unconscious. That it can heal imagination and memory not by our brute force, and not by the strength of our own will, but purely by the grace of God. That God can go to those parts of ourselves that are so deeply wounded to, but that we cannot reach. That he can heal us of the sins that have, have afflicted us, perhaps for decades of our life. And so for those who might struggle with this, or for those who counsel those who struggle with such things, the Jesus Prayer can become as comicus says, the most powerful weapon at a person's disposal to begin them along, to begin to lead them along that path to, to recovery. Uh, let's skip down to test it in the laboratory of faith. The science, in science, almost every theory is tested in the laboratory, so it is with our Christian faith. It must be tested in the laboratory of life Try this experiment. Let the last words you utter each night be the Jesus prayer. Fall asleep with these words on your lips. What better way to end the day than with Jesus? I I know quite a few people who sleep at night with their Jesus prayer, or with their Jesus rope, with their chalk key, and so it's a good practice uh, to carry it with you to bed. And so it becomes a reminder there, first thing in the morning is right. Uh, Among those who did this was Princess Eliana of Romania. She wrote, prayer has always been the very real, real importance to me. The habit formed in my early childhood of morning and evening prayer has never left me, but in the practice of the Jesus prayer, I'm but a beginner. I would nonetheless like to awaken interest in this prayer because even if I've only touched the hem of a heavenly garment, I've touched it. And the joy is so great, I would share it with others." So she she describes herself as a beginner, but we see in her words that she was far more than that. She had tasted something of the sweetness of this prayer and tasted it so deeply that her desire was to make it known even in the smallest way to others that they might uh, be able to take it up in their lives. Uh, The next section is Praying While asleep, which we've already covered. Uh, Placing ourselves in the presence of God. We're more familiar with this, I think, in the West too, the practice of the presence of God. Uh, And certainly the Jesus prayer, the calling upon his name, Uh, we place ourselves in his very presence in the most extraordinary way. And then ruminating on the blessed name. Uh, the image that the author here draws is sort of funny. That uh, He says, I remember that in my childhood, this is St. uh, when I was at my father's house, I noticed that the old women and young girls had something in their mouth, some chewing gum, that they, might mast- they, that they masticated in order that they might sweeten the saliva in their throat and the bad smell in their mouth, and so moisten and refresh their lives in all their inward parts. If this material thing can obtain so much sweetness for those who chew it, how much more can the food of life, the fountain of salvation, the source of living waters, the sweetness of all sweet things, our Lord Jesus Christ, whose precious and blessed name makes demons disappear like smoke when they hear it in our mouth. This blessed name, if we ruminate on it and chew it constantly, obtains a revelation for the intellect, the driver of soul and body, chases all evil thoughts away from the immortal soul, and shows her the things of heaven. Above all, him who is on high, our Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, the heavenly reward of those who seek him with their whole heart. So, like chewing gum, let it become for you, but uh, it's interesting. Some of the monks would say this prayer and begin saying it vocally, out loud, where they could hear it. And even when it became silent for them, you could see them moving their lips as they were saying it, that it became such a habit for them that as they were walking away or they're engaging in work, the, the prayer would still be uh, being recited, even if in a silent way. And uh, so you know, these images, I think, are so important for us because they make concrete and tangible uh, how we can be de- develop this, not only as a discipline, but as a, a special gift that is given to us from God and something that has been so transformative in the, the lives of the saints. The, to call on the name of Jesus is, is to enter into his very life. And above all, this is something that we should desire. But uh, before we move on to Ren's portion, any final thoughts or comments? Yes. Is that Jesus the powerful Christian, Well, I think this is where we, you know, the, the authors stress the importance of faith and confidence in the one that we are calling out to and even if that is at a minimum you know if the person is uh, calling out like the blind beggar on the side of the road hoping against hope i would say that that is sufficient but uh, there has to be a kind of goodwill there and desire i think that a person has in their heart for healing and so even with the smallest amount of faith i think it would bear great, great fruit for a person. And the beginning of it might be uh, even our sense of desperation, of having been brought to a place of poverty or brokenness in our life that we call out into that darkness, seeking for help. And to do that with a faith, even if it seems to be weak, can be enough to open the door to the flood of God's grace. And certainly the call on the name of Jesus, I think, is something that in and of itself would bring the gift of faith to a person. And I think when we look at the story of so many saints who came to the faith, that's how it often began. You know, in these moments where they were found themselves in utter darkness, reaching out for help. Good question. Any other Okay, we're going to move on. <laughs> Thank you, Paul.
1: <all. laughs> yes. Okay. I'll take mine. Yours okay. is
2: empty, almost. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. I'm rather embarrassed to be talking at this group tonight. Been coming for five years. Not uh, used to. I'm used to hearing more qualified people speak, but hopefully this will be interesting for you. So, um, I'm I'm uh, I'm so grateful to get to speak about this. I'm so happy that we are speaking about it. Um, I, once upon a time, was a uh, a blind beggar sitting in a gutter of my own making, and uh, Father. David adopted me and raised me back up from spiritual infancy with the Jesus Prayer and it has uh, changed my entire life. So I've also been very blessed with the gift of being able to make the prayer rope, um, which is itself a spirituality, Um, it's something that you want uh, a blessing from the tradition to do a blessing of a, of a priest, of a nun, um, someone who says like, yes, the Lord is calling you to do this. And it's typically considered that if you have the gift of being able to learn how, that means the Lord wants you to, because it's very hard and uh, you'll see that later. I've got a couple little videos for you. Uh, that I recorded myself. So I like to think that the, the Lord has said he would, and I'm indebted to uh, Abby Krekel, who many of you might know, who received one of my very first prayer ropes, took it to a nun whose uncle is a, a very uh, famous chotky maker in the Ukraine, and she blessed it and said it was good. So I was able to continue on after the, the blessing of, of one of the, the nuns So uh, this section of the presentation is titled The History Making and Use of the Prayer Rope, but I'm going to start with the use, which uh, is more important than anything. Um, So we'll just start there. And um, so the the prayer rope is is an instrument of an art, uh, the arzorandi, the art of arts, the art of prayer. And as I say that word art, uh, the first thing that came to mind last week, I'm like, oh, like an artist paint brushes. And as I thought that, I scribbled down um, that, you know, Michelangelo entered into the Sistine Chapel and there with his, his brush and the gift of God, he uh, brought forth this beautiful image of creation. And I thought, well, really, you know, for our part, though done in silence and, and done in secret, nothing less awesome is taking place, and in fact, something far more so. When we enter into the temple, the chapel of our own hearts, and they're um, remade by the name of Jesus, we become a new creation, our very selves. And in this moment, surely, the famous image is recreated and our Heavenly Father reaches out and touches us and we become ourselves this beautiful masterpiece of the Heavenly Father. And uh, that's all very pretty. But uh, as I read more and, and, in, and in the art of making the prayer ropes and thinking about it, I've come to realize over the years how important it is that I, I don't deviate from the tradition. What I do, what I've received, like with the prayer, it is a tradition. It's something that needs to be respected and needs to be followed. Um, so. I often get requests to make different kinds of prayer ropes, um, Anglican prayer ropes, different prayer ropes with different numbers of knots and different things and different styles. And uh, after discussing that uh, with my spiritual father, I became very comfortable saying no because um, the knot is not mine and it's not my tradition. It's, it's a gift. So um, I'm only going to make prayer ropes. And you can't ask me for anything else. I'm not even going to make rosaries, just fair ropes. So, um So the paintbrush is not the instrument that the fathers speak of when they speak of this rope as an instrument. The art they have in mind is not that of Michelangelo, but of Michael of Saint Michael, and it is the art of war, spiritual war, spiritual warfare. Um, my favorite way to think of it, and if I can have the prayer rope I made for Father Paul, you'll you'll see why, um, I like to think of it most as the, the scourge that we give Jesus to drive the demons out of our souls, and uh, you can see it be very effective. And uh, it's kind of intense. And uh, this is a 300 knot. I have only made two. I've made one as a gift for his ordination and one for my spiritual father. Um, So these take such an extraordinary amount of time to make. I do not accept orders for them typically. The amount of material it took to make this rope would wrap around this room. Um, many times. And you'll see a little video of how long it takes me to uh, just pull one string through the knot for these and you have to do it uh, four times for each knot. So um, what I'm going to do now is is just as I'm talking um, I'm going to pass these out so you can look at them. There's different styles, different colors. These four are actually available if you want to go home with one tonight. Um, So I'm just going to pass these out. The green one is mine. And uh, it's a slightly different style. There's one here that does not have a tassel on it, which is just that nice thing to look at. So see, these get tangled, and it's just terrible. So here's that one. And uh, these prayer ropes, I'm very happy to say, make their way into confessionals, into divine liturgy, Uh, Across the the world in different countries. So it's really very exciting. They're very holy items. So we just want to be careful with them. Um, And uh, so that's my favorite way to think of it. I like to think of it as Jesus' scourge, you know, driving the demons from our souls. Tradition often looks to the Old Testament and compares the chotki the to the sling with which David took down Goliath and the beads as, as his stones. Um, So uh, as, as weaponry advanced, one anonymous elder of Mount Athos describes the prayer rope thusly, the prayer rope is given to the Christian as his spiritual sword with which he as a soldier of Christ must make war against the spiritual enemy, the devil. The sword is wielded by calling on the name of our Lord and God and Savior, Jesus Christ. St. Paisius of Mount Athos, a much more recent saint who died only in 1994 and was canonized in 2005, um, more familiar with the modern arsenal, writes, imitate the good soldier who exits the barracks always with his automatic weapon at hand. The prayer rope has a great power, and is the weapon of the monk, and its knots are bullets, which when fired at the feet of the demons, make their sandals dance." (laughs) So, um, these are wonderful, pious, prayerful monks, and the way they describe it time and time again is slings and swords and automatic rifles. So, tradition has spoken, the prayer rope is not a paintbrush, it is an instrument. Of war. And and it is not armor either. Um, and this is important. It's not a shield or a or a protective garment. Um, far less, and the fathers stressed this often: it is not a charm and it is not an amulet. The prayer rope um, in the tradition is often worn on the left wrist. Um, And this is only to serve as a reminder um, to pray. It's not to be worn around the neck. It's not supposed to be worn from a belt. Um, It's either wrapped around the wrist or it's put away. Um, And uh, so it's not a charm or an amulet. It's an assault rifle, Um, (laughs) which is great. So the prayer rope is uh, Kim, did you have a question?
0: Is it the official prayer form of the NRA? <laughs>
2: I don't know, but maybe it should be. The knots are bullets, you know. Um so uh, there are there are three main purposes for the prayer rope, and uh, the first purpose, as Father David referenced before, is something very familiar to us um, as as Roman Catholics, and it's not the only thing with, we, with with which we associate the rosary, but it's one of the most common ones, and that's simply for keeping count, um, and keeping count in the in the West. At, you know, it's interesting because, well, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I go to confession, I get like decades of the rosary. So, you know, we need to keep count for that kind of thing, too. But um, in the East, uh, the the spiritual father would assign their, their son or daughter a set number of the Jesus prayers. And this wasn't just an arbitrary number. It being carried out exactly was a matter of obedience. So it was really something very spiritually significant. So... Um, we just, we just keep track. Now, um, prayer ropes come in different sizes, uh, 33, 50, 100, 150, and 300. The only significant one of those is 33, and that's for the years of our Lord's earthly life. Uh, after that, it is just about um, different rules that developed around the Jesus prayer, different times the prayer would be said. Um, a tradition in the east um, is that uh, you know they would have the psalter and 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 long liturgical prayers and not everyone could read and not everyone had access to the books of prayer and so often instead of praying vespers you would be assigned 3000 jesus prayers instead of praying morning prayer you'd be assigned 600 jesus prayers so the The ropes were often made for those people so that they would know by the time they got to the end. And uh, there's a little appendage to some prayer ropes, which is if you um, got a very humongous penance and you needed to say multiple thousands of Jesus prayers, you you would pull that every time you finished your 300 knot. And then you would know how many times you'd gone through the 300 knot. So there's even like a little... Side prayer rope for the prayer rope. I've never had to make one of those, but that would be kind of fun. Um, so, and the the 300 knot is specifically the prayer rope that is used at 3 p.m. to say 300 uh, Jesus prayers at the hour of Jesus's death. So that's that's the origin of the 300 knot, uh, which is now more commonly the prayer rope of, of bishops um, and uh, those higher up in the church. So, um, the reason we, we keep count on a prayer rope because we have 10 fingers, right? So we could do that. Um, but... Keeping count on the prayer rope allows us to not... I, I have a very hard time when I try to keep count on my fingers or in my head. I end up doing something like saying a number before every Hail Mary, which is just kind of distracting. So um, it, it allows us to completely give ourselves over to the prayer, to be totally immersed in it, and not have to think about it at all um, until we get to the end. So uh, that's purpose number one. So the second purpose is um, more, even more important. Um, it's a it's a reminder, and it's to recall us from distractions. So the tassel, uh, we have an, a uh, Ukrainian Catholic priest who's a very good friend of ours here at the Oratory, and he orders his liturgical chotki from me, and I love making those because the tassel is about four times the size of the ones on the ones you're passing around; they're about this big. And so during Divine Liturgy, he wraps it around his wrist. And as he's moving, the tassel keeps hitting his arm. Mm-hmm. And so it keeps calling him back. It's like a silent bell that keeps telling him he's at Divine Liturgy. He's praying to enter back into prayer. And for us, it can do the exact same thing. So that's really wonderful. Um, it's the same thing with wearing it on your wrist. Um, and the divider beads is really very interesting. So. I could just say, well, my spiritual father told me to pray 300 Jesus prayers, so I have a 300 knot rope and I'll just do that. But mine, the green one, wherever it is, um, has a bead every 10 knots. Now the reason for those beads, this is a great little quote, and the reason for those is because we're so distracted so quickly that the moment we enter into prayer, We'll find ourselves just kind of saying it, and my head's off somewhere completely else. So those beads are supposed to remind us that we just wasted the last five minutes every time we hit them, because clearly we weren't paying enough attention. So uh, an anonymous monk of Mount Athos writes, meeting up with one of the markers or with the cross on the prayer rope as we move it through the fingers reminds us that we have been robbed of the prayers we intended to offer. So um, it's it really is very grounded in reality, and that is why I like to have my beads every ten um, instead of every twenty-five because then I'm reminded more often, uh, which is great. So the beads happen every ten or every twenty-five, just depending. And then I'm um, what's you know pretty obvious. I mean, obviously, d- just the most beautiful part of. The prayer rope is that it helps us to enter into prayer and communion with the Lord. And um, another obviously modern elder of Mount Athos writes that the heart is like a lawnmower. Mm -hmm. And the prayer rope is the cord. And we pull and pull and pull. When we finally pull with enough intent and, and will, then our heart starts up. And uh, can pray on its own so we pull the prayer rope until all the oils all there and the hearts just going but as he reminds us we don't get rid of it because eventually we're going to stop praying we're gonna turn the heart off and so we're gonna need that rope again to start it back up and if you're like me your lawnmower stops when you don't want it to like like really often so you just need to keep pulling on the 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 prayer rope Um, so that's that's the reason for it that's the use of it it's not in any way like a superfluous thing or something we wear to be like oh joe i have a prayer rope too cool you know it's um it's so important and the spirituality of the prayer rope itself is so beautiful and it becomes if you read the way of the pilgrim i mean it becomes a part of this man and um and it breaking is this this tragedy to him and and um it's just beautiful and even when you don't have access to satin thread to make your prayer ropes, these prayer ropes are made and the spiritual spirituality behind them is uh, is lived out using really any means possible. So the history is, is really quite simple. Um, sometimes they say just an anonymous monk, but more often uh, we're told that Saint Anthony of the desert, who's really the, um, proto-desert father. Um, He was out in the desert, and you know, the fathers back at that time, they just had so much more direct contact with demons running into them on the road and just really in your face kind of thing and um so he's sitting on a rock and he's trying to meditate on his prayers and so he gets this like little leather strap and he's tying his knots in it every time he says lord jesus christ son of god have mercy on me a sinner and he's using the tying of the knots to to focus his mind well this demon comes up next to the rock and just starts undoing the knots as he makes them and every time Anthony makes one he undoes it and he's like trying to distract him and make him all distraught which works and so Saint Anthony gets really upset and he's like oh holy mother the Theotokos I don't know what to do I'm trying to pray and the devil's distracting me and sometimes it's said that it was just an angel but I like to think that it was the blessed mother for a reason that will come in again shortly, she appears to him and says that the one thing that defeats the demons is the cross. And so she shows him how to make this knot, that you form either seven or nine crosses, depending, um, and that it's just a constant. Everything you do forms the sign of the cross. And from then on, the demons were unable to come near Anthony or distract him or undo his prayers. So that's great. And it was this tradition passed down for a long time. And then there was this monk. And he couldn't make his own prayer rope. And all the other monks could make a prayer rope. And he couldn't. And he was so discouraged. And he was so sad. So he's praying again. He's like, oh, Holy Mother Theotokos, I'm trying to pray. But I can't make the prayer rope like all the other monks. What am I supposed to do? So the Blessed Mother comes. And this is why I like to think she's the one who originally gave it to us. Because she's always helping us and giving us these little crafts to help us pray and and do the things we're supposed to. So she comes and says, um, she gives him this plant. And the tradition behind the plant is that at the foot of the cross, the Blessed Mother wept, and her tears fell to the ground, and a plant sprung up at the foot of the cross. And the the little nuts on that plant are called the tears of the Panagia, the tears of the Blessed Mother. And so it said that she appeared to this monk and handed him a little plant and just told him to cultivate the plant and when the beads came in, he could get a needle and make uh, a a chotki with beads instead of knots. So those exist today and you can get a chotki made with the tears of the Panagia, it's really very beautiful, um, but the one reason to not do that, and I really love this, and I only found this out yesterday, the reason we prefer knots above all other things to the rosary, to the beads, to the beads, is that it's completely silent, the, the, the rope is completely silent, and if you've ever had the experience of being in the chapel in a very pious, grandmotherly woman is kneeling there with her rosary and she can't hear all that well so she can't tell that as she holds the rosary over the pew it's swinging and it's kind of going back and forth and going tss,
1: tss, tss. <laughs>
2: And you're like, oh, you know, and you know she's praying and so you're trying to be real patient, but why well, is it distracting? And so that's why we make the prayer out of rope and why that's the preferred material. Um, so, the last few things before I get to the video is um, the tassel. So, um, as some of the elders on Mount Athos say, they're like, well, it's just pretty. Like, they'll be like, I mean, really, I mean, it's, it's just pretty. And we put tassels on everything and we put it on vestments. So that's why we have tassels, because they look nice. But uh, the Russians, who are much more emotional than that, say that the tassel is because in praying the Jesus prayer and realizing our poverty before God, we weep for our sins. And so the tassel is there to wipe the tears away. And that's why we have the tassel. And then someone says, well, I can't cry when I pray. And then they go, well, weep because you can't weep. And it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> helpful, <laughs> that's great. So according to the Russians, you're supposed to find a reason to weep. If, even if you're weeping because you can't weep because you can't weep, you're supposed to be weeping. So that's very important to them. And uh, so... Are there any questions before I move on to the video? Yes. Do you ever make them with the beads or with the knots a little bit spread out? Because they're so tight. When you have calloused fingers, right. you can't always So if you want, you can actually not, don't do it to that one. But um, once you get a prayer rope, you can, you can pull the knots apart. Now, I'll show you. And um, this is not the gutter I was referring to earlier. That was something much more. But... Uh, Four years ago, I was a pack-a-day smoker and uh, it, it was my go-to in everything. And as I started praying the Jesus prayer, I like just really felt like, okay, it was time to stop. It'd been like seven, eight years. So it was it was time, you know. So I quit cold turkey and this prayer rope of mine began with the knots side by side. And as you can see, they're not side by side anymore. And uh, and that's because this is the one that I quit smoking with. So it's stretched and pulled, and I don't think the knots can come any further apart. So they'll get there. If you pray hard enough, they will separate <laughs> unless you really try to make them knot, but they really will. And um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, that's the other thing about the prayer rope is that... Um, you know we, we we have cigarettes, we have toothpicks, we have food, we have all these things where we're like gnawing and chewing and biting and like using our hands and and it's this is how we respond to stress and how we respond to all these things. And the the prayer rope is obviously for me, the most the single most effective thing in in counteracting um addictions passions bad habits i mean it it is something you can truly cling to and you can't break i mean it you would you'd have to do something to this to make it break and um and so for that reason alone i mean it's just wonderful and um yeah so they will come apart <laughs> just got to pull hard enough um, All right, so I've got two little videos for you here today. And one is a video of what making a a normal knot is like. And then the second one is just for my own amusement, really, which is do I just hit enter on the projector?
1: I don't know. The thing is closed? Oh, the power thing, maybe. The thing is closed on the front. Oh, okay. Okay, I
2: think I'm making it work. And the other one and I won't make you watch the whole thing is uh, just a video of me <coughs> making a knot with a 300 knot and the amount of material it takes. But that video is actually kind of great because you sort of get a little glimpse of what it's like to make them. And uh, it's like this really beautiful, peaceful, silent thing. And in the video, you can hear little birds chirping in the background. It's really very nice. So, um, here we go.
1: There. there.
2: All right. So this first one has some nice music from Mount Athos for it, so you can just kind of listen to that and, and watch it if you want. It's, it's very nice and, and soothing. The monks of Mount uh, the Vallon Brotherhood also beautiful choir. So. And if you look for the crosses as you go along, see there's two there. So you can keep seeing the, the crosses as the video goes along. Now this part's a little hard to see, but what we're doing here is both both loops have to be pulled all the way from the beginning, all the way through the knot again, or else they won't pull. So you have to pull it all the way through, it's kind of, yeah, <laughs> it's a little tricky. We got one. <laughs> so, you know, we can understand the monk who cried about not being able to make So, there's that one. And uh, I'll just wrap up with this. is the process that you have to obviously you just watched the other video so
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ren how much how do you know how much you need how, how
2: Yeah, you you just know how much you're gonna need depending on how many knots you're making and you just cut it accordingly (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah
2: You you can actually become tangled in this you really can become kind of a mess so um, it's uh (laughs) It's
1: it's you ever lose your place
2: No, no, um When I first started, I I would, you know, it would be clearly wrong. And then the worst part is to undo a wrong knot. You have to do that all over again. Only you're taking it apart. So it's it's just it's just a mess. But um, that's why I don't make three hundred (laughs) knots. I'll just stop that now. You got the idea. So. Um, so that's that. <clears throat> but uh, if there are no more questions for me, I guess I'll just ask if there are any more questions for Father David, um, and let him wrap have, us up. I
1: have a question. Yes. How do you do, how do? you know, like, how long do you do it, or how many Jesus Christ to say, or like, how do you determine that?
2: Right. So on a one hundred knot. So this is actually a fifty knot that I'm working on right now. So on a fifty knot. I can say slowly about 10 Jesus prayers per knot. Um, on a 100 knot, I can get through about 25. On a 300 knot prayer, I could probably say about about 40 Jesus prayers per knot. So, which is which is why the uh, the making of itself is supposed to be a prayer. And I won't say that when I've been really crunched for an order like a wedding gift. I haven't, like, listened to a podcast, but ideally it's something you enter into prayerfully. Sorry,
1: I meant when you're praying, not making it. Oh,
2: how many do you say? Well, if it's not something that you're, you're, typically it would be something your your spiritual director, your spiritual father would guide you in, Um, but uh, again, it's not... um, it's not, it's primary purpose is not to be an instrument of keeping count. So it's really supposed to be something um, we can lose ourselves into and um, just kind of end up at the cross. Surprised that we're at the cross already, so uh. yeah. that you in you did you make those? No, I do not make those. So um, those are typically wool. I don't work with wool. Um, I just, I work with a satin cord. Um, and, uh, yeah, one of the reasons, I suppose, for that is just that I don't want to get into two different kinds of material because that's just a lot to keep in stock. But it depends. So we try to get them when they're on sale, these different providers, because um, they can be, you know, rightly, more expensive and a bit of an investment. So it just depends on what we can get for a price that we can reasonably resell them for and
1: water.
2: They were made by people much holier than me. Some nuns in Egypt typically are where the little wool ones we would sell a lot from. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Any
0: final questions or comments? Yes.
1: Should there be a sermon that, like when you when start the prayer, is there like a, we should start with the Shijianis, do the practice under the direction of the spiritual father. Do you know what I mean, like
0: Typically, yeah, within the East, that uh, even like the way the pilgrim that we mentioned here, so often that he had to search out what was called a staretz or an elder or someone to guide him in the practice, but also to expose him to the tradition on which it would arise and so uh, typically we would want to, to engage in the prayer under the counsel of someone else who practices it but also is familiar with the tradition in the writings of the fathers any other comments or questions okay why well, we close with the uh prayer to St. Philip and then we'll close with our final hymn. At the back of the program you'll find just some thoughts uh, from various saints on on the Jesus prayer itself and then we have coffee and sweets on the table in the corner of the room. And together let us pray. Look down to heaven, heaven, holy father, from the loftiness of that mountain to the 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 lowliness lowliness of this valley, valley, from that harbor of quietness and tranquility to this calamitous calamitous sea, and now that the darkness of this world there is no more those kindly eyes of thine, from looking clearly into all things, look down and visit, O most diligent keeper, this vineyard which thy right hand planted with so much labor, anxiety, and peril. To thee then we fly, from thee we seek for aid, to thee we give our whole selves unreservedly, to thee we adopt as our patron and defender, undertake the cause of our salvation, protect thy clients. To thee we appeal as our leader, rule thine army fighting against the assaults of the devil. To thee, kindest of pilots, we give up the rudder of our lives, steer this little ship of thine, and place as thou art on high, keep us up of all the rocks of evil desires, with the for our pilot and guide, we may safely come to the board of eternal bliss. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. St. Philip. Praise our closing hymn is to Jesus Christ, our sovereign King. Thank you all and have a great evening. Thank you.